Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 96. Today's episode, I interview strong woman, Amy Rose. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to learn what Amy would give a TED talk on, exploring comfort zones, and how she creates her schedule to allow her to be strong and productive. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line for the second time, uh, because the first time I deleted the show accidentally, <laughs> I have Amy Rose. Amy, uh, I've been playing around with a new question that I want to start asking people, similar than uh, the first one that I asked you the, uh, last time, but it's more, hey, give us the highlights of your health journey uh, up until this point. I, I, in a nutshell, I was a medical child. I was a sickly child that had um, scoliosis, and I've been able to harness the power of healing myself to becoming now a coach and uh, an Ironman athlete and a strong woman athlete and a multipreneur. So here we are. And now I'm talking to fine people like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have been some of those turning points? So you said, like, hey, you started off like a little sickly, like some of the scoliosis. Uh, what were some of the changes that you made when you were younger? Uh, and then maybe even some of the more recent changes that you've made too. I've always been a rebel at heart. So I think it comes down to human behavior and psychology. And I never liked being told what to do. So when the medical system said, and I was treated pretty seriously for scoliosis. I mean, I would travel from my northern town of Timmins all the way down to Toronto every two months. I had a second home. I mean, my so like socially, everything was very different for me. I didn't have regular friends. I had, you know, I had doctors and nurses and a medical team looking after me, but um, it just, it, it, the spectrum of what became possible grew. So it's like, I would say, I use the dirty window analogy. So you clean a little bit of that window to kind of like, you know, poke your nose out and see what's out there. And that was movement for me. So it started that big. And then, and then I clean a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I'm in my thirties now and I'm still, I'm still cleaning that damn window and there's still so much to discover. <laughs> And uh, it's, you know, that's the journey that is life and what kind of interest you take in caring for yourself at the end of the day. Well, even with the scoliosis, like, do you still, 
really work on anything for that today? Or is that something that you more did a lot of the corrections for uh, back when you were younger? So this is where I say my disadvantages became very advantageous in my in my personal journey. So where I work with a lot of people who don't have the same dysfunctions that I do, it becomes this constant reminder of, hey, you got to do this mobility work, you have to work on function, you know, so it all comes down to like movement patterns and function. And then everything else you want to do outside of that is really just accessory to how healthy you are, how well you're moving. I have to do that all the time before I break down. So what is that movement like? And share with us because you also have talked about like you said you've done the iron woman you've done like the strong woman like all of these things like how do you combine such great athletic endeavors because these aren't things to be taken lightly with blending in that really corrective exercise that you're always going to have to be doing to uh really keep that scoliosis at bay it comes down to comfort zone i i think a lot about this because i have a huge interest in human behavior and in psychology um I can't allow myself to be comfortable. I can't allow myself to creep into that comfort zone. So my planning spans, the, you know, this, you know, the course of many months to a year to many years, and and I know that that's going to be an endless journey. And I think people get really demotivated at the thought of like, oh man, that's going to be a lot, a lot of freaking work, and <laughs> I, I have to do this, like, you know, like if I if I really want to train and I'm still tired, I still have to put this time in. So last time we talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, incorporating quiet and mindfulness into like your 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 everyday right just to be healthier it comes down to the same thing it's these little little the little shit that people don't want to do that matters the most and i i I just i've harnessed the ability through practice to to incorporate that into my everyday life tying that in even with some of the coaching like how does that help you as a coach because again if, if if you can't you you can talk the talk, but if you're not walking the walk, I mean, your clients are going to know. So how does that really have a profound impact in what you do when you're working with clients then too? Um, I mean, I could take that from a couple angles, but if I just look at it from the having experienced it perspective, you know, when you have that insight into your own behavior, you have much more, much greater insight into how your clients are thinking or behaving. Um, and I know that having run myself through these, um, goals that are ultimately harmful. I understand the cycle of, you know, extrinsic motivation and this desire to, oh, happiness lies here, happiness lies here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I think I'm going to be happy if I do this. So I understand that when I'm working with clients fundamentally, that they all have goals, that they all have expectations, that we are in a results-based business, let's face it, right? They're expecting results when they're working with us. Um, so my goal as a coach is to morph that goal setting pattern into something that's a little bit more long-term, a little bit more intrinsic, right? So um, I, it, it, that's where the coaching practice comes in, and that's the time variable. And everybody's different, right? How you approach that with people changes because everyone's unique. And I'm curious now. So you said, like, you, you talking about comfort zones before and the whole human psychology, how does that movement practice? Because we're talking about a lot of movement here, but the human psychology, like, where do those two kind of meet? Like, uh, especially maybe for yourself or w- helping with clients, like what is it that you really look at with that psychology to, I guess, maybe best help them? Belief systems. Everybody comes in with a belief system and everybody um, is telling themselves a story. And um, a lot of the work that I do now is anchored in this concept of identity and who we think we are. So we're all walking, you know, stories. 
Um, and, and even with people that I've worked with for years and years, they might be redefining what their story is, but, um, fundamentally to get to the core of all of that, it, it really comes down to just biological needs, you know, like feeling loved and accepted. And, uh, you know, if we look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that would be kind of like the quickest go reference point for people to go to. So you have all of these stages that you need to get to in order to get to self-actualization, which is kind of all the way up here. That's the nebulous part. Right. And that's really what I help people walk through. How about for yourself though, like finding that identity, that story, like what do you really identify as, or what, what is that identity that you have for yourself? Human. <laughs> and I, I work, uh, I, I work a lot with this whole notion of what it means to be a strong woman. So in my own, in my own journey, I, I discovered strong man because of somebody important that I've met. Um, and I know that you're doing strong man too. And I'd actually like to hear what that's contributed in your life, but um, it, it had a, an inverse relationship for me, right? So you can work on the mind and then physically the body will kind of follow, but you can also work on the body and then the mind will find itself somewhere else at the end of that. So by the process of building myself up, so think, think back to, okay, I was a sickly child and yeah, I had accomplished these like amazing, amazing feats of like endurance and whatever, but just to know that I was physically strong and to see my body transform in such a way and to feel capable, right? This is where you're really, you're really tapping into like, now we're talking sports psychology, right? This, this ability to, you know, lift a car off, you know, to, <laughs> well, for fun. I mean, yeah, you have, you, you could get into, you know, some, some different strength patterns, but uh, for the, for the purpose of training, right. To tap into that, that place where you, you don't think you're able to, to you are now able to, it really changes you. So I became a stronger woman, not physically, but mentally as a byproduct of just becoming a competitive strong woman. So um, not only, um, not, that's really been a journey for me my whole life. And I, I feel like in my thirties, I finally found this place of like, Oh yeah, I'm totally human. And I'm not 100% identifying with what it means to be a woman. Cause that's been a huge source of inner conflict for me since I've been a kid. Well, one of the things that we touched on last time though, too, because I, I think this all ties together is that womanliness, that femininity, I, I always screw that word up, um, but yeah, but you don't worry about it. <laughs> how, how does that all come into play? Because we're talking about strong woman and strong man and people think of just these larger than life individuals but you can still have this amazing blend and just become a stronger woman uh speaking back to that uh with that blend but how does the woman womanliness and femininity tie into the strong woman too uh that's a little bit of push pull between that interplay of what society defines a woman is and uh, also biologically what my needs are um, and not hating on myself too much for, yeah, you know, I do want to attract, you know, a superior mate by looking, looking boss in this like little black dress. So, so there's some <laughs> biology in that. Um, but not to allow myself to be defined by these roles, um, these socially defined roles of women. So like my, my father's first nations, only child. I grew up hunting and fishing. We live for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if we didn't fish or hunt, then we wouldn't eat. But I also had the benefit, you know, of like a very maternal figure. So I had two great parents growing up. I was very fortunate that way. And moving, you know, to Ottawa, which is like by no means a big city in Canada, but to me it was huge, right? A lot more people live here. Um, their their vision of what my behavior was was completely like, oh, really? You're you're different. That's that's strange. Like, you know, women don't usually do that kind of stuff. And I suddenly found myself trying to like weasel my way into this box that people had already created for all women. 
And I was just limiting my own potential as a human. And that's really what I do with clients. I don't know if your practice is much different, but I mean, like you're very, like, I know I've, I've done some homework on you. You're very spiritual. You do have, you have the whole shaman, like the shamanism thing and you work with clients and yet you have this whole, like, you've got this, you know, strongman thing going on. So even within yourself, right, this is probably a dialogue that you encounter every day. Yeah. I think especially like bringing in, uh, like the, the, still the word spirituality, like you said that, I mean, it's, I really have no idea what it means. In a sense, like I could probably come up with some of my own definitions, but that's still something that's almost out there to me. But I guess I still feel that I very much am spiritual. But bring like the topic of shamanism and then like working with clients, like sometimes I won't even tell clients like that I do any of that. Uh, sometimes like you can tell like they're really interested in, or they've heard me talk about it. So like they'll seek me out because of that then too. Uh, so it's this uh, double-edged sword because I, I'm doing shamanic work, uh, whether, um, they know it or not kind of thing. Like it's going to be part of my practice because I find that it well, helps body work essentially is, you know, spirituality. If you want to define it that way. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm using that, uh, whether it be maybe just for myself to help figure that like something out for them, like to help them make those breakthroughs because that's what they're coming for me to see is, okay, how are you going to help me? So it's, I'm still going to coach them like on the absolute basics, right? I mean, that's still what it comes down to. Like, all right, are you sleeping? Are you drinking some water? Uh, diet fairly clean. Like, are you at least moving every day? Uh, just simple stuff like that. But I'm going to do those shamanic journeys to find out what it is about those little things that they might be having blockages on. What it is that I might need to say, because I could tell somebody to drink half their body weight in ounces of water, but there are a million and one different ways to tell somebody that. And rather than try telling them a million and one, I might just go figure it out uh, through another means and just kind of bring that back and pose it this way. And all of a sudden it just kind of clicks for them too. Uh, so that's uh, sometimes I guess how I'll blend some of that shamanic work uh, in with uh, the clients that I'm working with then too. This whole concept of spirituality has become really interesting to me. So again, I grew up in northern communities. My dad's First Nations. I grew up, you know, like with these elders and, um, you know, having moved to Ottawa and, and suddenly like these, these shamans became present in my life. And this concept that a woman could be shaman was, you know, completely foreign in and of itself. Um, is but that also because, that, uh, sorry, like not sorry to interrupt, but it, like foreign that a woman could, because is that something like the, when you grew up, like only males were shamans or correct? Yeah. Okay. So culturally speaking, those are things that are reserved, reserved for the men. And, well, and uh, that, that, but that's gotta be in that culture because I know certain yes. South American cultures, like the, 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 the female shamans are like, they are the go-to, uh, correct. and, and yeah. so I guess it depends on yeah where you're located really. Yeah, and also that these like non-Aboriginal people could then get the training. I'm like, oh well, what a beautiful you know concept, what a great idea. And um, even within myself, and and I've I've heard you in a, in a podcast where you you mirrored my own thoughts in the sense that I do this, but I don't necessarily believe it. But a lot of it just seems to be kind of come from this innate place. So, for instance, when I when uh, when we were introduced, I knew right away, okay, this is a person that I'm going to have. Um, I'm going to have a lot of contact with, um, you know, we talked about spirit animal stuff last time. And surely enough, we talked about that, that fox and I had a pneumonia like, like three or four days later. Um, so these are like, you know, spirit animal stuff, but that's, that's a recurring theme in my life. And 
also I, t I called it. I'm like, you know what? He's going to lose that interview. So it's that little, it's that little shit that I just can't wrap my brain around. I'm like, how do I always do that? But I don't believe it. Right. I'm like, I don't believe it when I say it. So does something like that, I mean, do you just have like a gut feeling? Like, do you have a thought, a dream? Like I say, I, I, it's beyond that. Like there was someone in the room with me and I said, he's going to lose that interview. Just watch. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. But no, so that's the, the first uh, class that I took on shamanism. Like they were talking about, um, I mean, imaginary friends growing up. Like that's, that's one of the ways like you can talk, like those are your teachers. Those are your guides. Like these are people that are actually helping you whether like, and, and that almost gets, uh, pushed out of us, if you will. Like, it's like, no, they're, they're not really real. Uh, like the, that's what a parent will tell their kid, but it's, Hey, clearly like you, you know, there was somebody else there, like whatever it was that y you were talking to something, somebody, uh, and having that conversation and they were as real as any of us would ever, uh, like just standing here. I mean, they're real. Right. And uh, that kind of makes me think a little bit about um, Daryl Edwards. Are you familiar with him? No. So he's from the UK. He has this model called Primal Play. And uh, I met him at Paleo Effects a couple years ago. I just, again, when we talk about like just these beautiful synchronicities and my life is very serendipitous in, in terms of the people that I've met. Like we've talked about Vidya and she brought you on to me and, you know, now we're talking and God knows where that's going to lead. But um uh yeah daryl's just like you know really wonderful human he was a keynote speaker for for the conference and it was my first time there and i was talking in front of hundreds of people and i was kind of like losing my shit and um uh, he forgot his usb key so i lent him my usb key and he was nice enough to, to take a look at what i was doing gave me really positive feedback and here we are three fast forward three years and um you know, we've both grown tremendously as people, but we're doing very similar things. So his primal play mirrors the fun fitness that my, my, my company love to train is um, pushing across Canada. So it's this concept of going back to play, right? And there's a lot of science that supports the benefits of play. So when you're talking about shamanism to make a, a, a long story, a, a short story long as, as I usually do. Um, <laughs> it's more fun yeah, that way. Yeah, exactly. So it's like shamanic training that does talk about like who you are as a child. And um, that has a lot of interest for me. Now, what else? I don't even know. So like this whole, I don't even know what you, how they modulate it or how they educate you. It's very interesting. Well, I was going to ask you, actually ask you about the play because uh, like in some of the classes that I've taken, uh, we've actually like played out our uh, spirit animals, like our power animals. Uh, so, but tying that in with like, okay, the, the, the fun to play, the, like the primal play, like all these other movement patterns, like you're just moving around like an animal. Uh, but these can be fantastic ways to just move the body and really help to heal it. Uh, I think in, in that outdoor setting, like you're getting your feet, your hands in the grass, you're climbing up a tree, like you're howling at the moon, whatever it might be. Uh, but I think that, that can all tie together then, uh, that, that animal aspect with just our basic movement patterns. Yeah, and that ties into almost everything that we've said, right? So if you're if you're just moving from this innate place of joy, then you're shedding your identity. Um, you know, you're also learning how to move more effectively, which ultimately makes you a more functional human, and also makes you happier. Tough to beat that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, okay, just share with everybody, like, okay, what what is this? Uh, what does this program look like that you guys are like? So you started in Ottawa, then. Yeah, we actually started with fundraisers. So we have, uh, we're very lucky here in Ottawa. We have the Royal Ottawa, which is a mental health hospital. 
Um, and it's, there's a lot of talk now to destigmatize mental health. And that's something that we really wanted to get behind. And we just started doing fundraisers for them. And, um, it's, we've been very successful in, in, in the sense that we, uh, we just created these fun fitness classes. And it's like a bunch of grownups playing. Like it just, it, it's in, like people lose their shit playing tag. It's amazing. <laughs> It's just so much fun to watch. I'm like, it's like you think that they've never played in their life. And we just come up with these games that they might have played in, like, you know, preschool gyms and uh, reincorporate that and to see them, you know, laugh and enjoy themselves. And they come back and we're really anchoring, you know, the community together behind this really great cause at the same time. So now we've really started pulling from that and incorporating that into the model that we're, we're using with the clients. So rather than just like left brain mechanical rep range is how can we how can we we make it more fun so we, we like we have a facility here in ottawa so we brought in the turf strip we brought in the climbing wall tightrope and um there's a lot of really great um certifications or programs that already exist that would be really awesome to bring to our city like primal play for example animal flow and then all of the above yeah, yeah absolutely exactly yeah so how do you incorporate that like uh so are you training for any events right now like any competitions uh, up? I'm always training for something. Yeah. <laughs> I um, it's it's interesting how my goals morph. I mean, they were definitely very extrinsically based in the beginning, and they were many, uh, and they were quite harmful to my body. So I've learned to slow down a little bit. So if I can do one or two things, I find it very fulfilling. Um, so I mean, strongman is still is still my first love. I mean, it just this just the elation that you get from doing these amazing feats of strength is just incredible. Like, you know, like we talked about deadlifting cars or Atlas stones, which is my, my, my best event. And I will, and I, I just I will love kick, lifting stones. There's something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just the events in and of, them, of themselves are really cool. So when we talk about functionality, that is functional strength. So when people were saying, Oh, well, there's no way you want to load your spine or anything, a yoke. Right. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, man, I could walk with, you know, 550 pounds on my back and run, run, practically run for, you know, 100 feet. And I'm actually getting stronger by doing that. So my, my spine is learning to take the load. It's learning to adapt to that movement. Obviously, frequency and quality of program design is very important. But uh, I am a much better human and I'm much more functional in my dysfunction since I've been doing strongman. Right. Or like picking up items. Right pick up with a rounded back well if you're picking up an atlas stone you're wrapping yourself around that sucker i agree like I, i've had this conversation with a few people recently too and i think it's something that just needs to be addressed because everybody talks about well you just have to have that straight up flat back like neutral spine this and that all right but what about with the time that happens that you lift something and you don't you're screwed mm -hmm. like you're not strong in that range of motion now like the spine is meant to be a dynamic thing like running is running is a rotational pattern for the spine. Even like people think about something like that. Like the, the spine is just not staying neutral. No, it's moving. It's dynamic. But any of these lifting techniques, yes, I am 100% on board with you. Like you have to take that spine through full ranges of motion. Does that mean you load it heavy to start with that? No, but you start and we're talking about like smart program, like getting that progression starting with some low loads, just getting the spine used to the movement first, but then getting it to go through flexion, getting it to go through extension so that it can handle that when the time comes that you're lifting uh, a stone or, hey, just a, a, a 
bag of dog food, like something you just kind of a little more awkward. You have to go down to really pick up. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the thing about that is that if you can't lift it, you can't lift it. It's like, Oh, careful. You're going to hurt yourself. Well, you know, if I can't pick it up, I can't, I can't pick it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Especially for women, right? Cause we're, we're, we're built a little differently, but, um, I also love this concept of being both fight and flight. So we're talking about running and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of literature out there that says, oh, running is really bad for you. But if you look at the function of the Achilles tendon, it is to run. It is a spring, right? You only activate it in, 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 in and also, it, yeah, it's just the body is made to move. So I'm working with uh, Mike Westerling at the moment. I love, I love working with coaches. I love learning from people that are smarter than me. And I actually was introduced um, to Mike by Kristen Rhodes. So I, I did some interview stuff um, in California a couple years ago. And uh, she was one of the ladies that I had the privilege of training with. What an incredible human, by the way. Um, uh, yeah, and, and awesome, awesome, strong woman for sure. Somebody oh, I'm sure totally. that you could learn a whole lot from. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a very humble, very, like, very real lady, not full of herself in any way, right? And, and I've been working with Mike now for, like, two years and uh, we're working together on developing a certification program because his, his wisdom is just brilliant. You know, this concept of incorporating um, different types of movement, different types of training so that you're a more functional human at the end of the day is incredible. What so, are some of the things like that he just kind of shared with you that you were like, wow, like where did that come from? Like that, that completely changed uh, or kind of blew your mind with just how your thought processes were around training. Two things. So I would say one of them is is actually linked to my personal evolution over the course of the like last two years has been just this this concept of time, right? We're also impatient to get to where we have to be, and if you just slow it down and you and you periodize things over a longer term, um, then you're much better off, right? Because you're also not you're not having to deal with managing injuries. Avoid them altogether, right? Number one, just if you could avoid them, just avoid them. <laughs> You don't have any setbacks because if you have to pick up again, then you're no further off than you, if you would have had to take your time to begin with. Um, but uh, incorporating, you know, a lot of, um, you know, he's, he does that like so, some like CrossFit movements and uh, but he like, so he'll do like push pulls with like a car and he'll do it like kind of EMOM style every minute on the minute. Um, and uh, my recovery has been, you know, it has never been better. My strength has never been better. Right. Um, it's uh yeah, he's quite brilliant, but he also applies that specificity, specificity variable that I think a lot of coaches lack. So you can work with a lot of big names in the industry, and they'll serialize these programs, but they're forgetting about the human on the other end of it, right? So I'm a very high-stress individual. Like, I, you know, I run three, now three and a half businesses because <laughs> I, I like having my hands in 100 pots, but, um, and stress happens. Right. So I have deadlines all the time. I'm not sleeping well. I don't meditate because, you know, who, who really likes to meditate <laughs> when you're a type personality? Um, and I like to train. So taking time off is not easy for me, but he factors all of that in. Um, and it's just really beautiful to see how it unfolds and how my performance increases and how my well being increases and, uh, uh, and how far I've gone, really. Okay. So I have kind of two questions off that, I guess. One is, or almost like a statement too. It's like, I, I really don't think that you don't meditate. Like, I just don't think you do it probably in a common path. Like somebody thinks of like, Oh, sitting down, like focusing on the breath or doing a guided meditation because the way that your brain functions, I feel like you're just going to do it 
with some of your work, with your training, whatever it might be, you're going to be so engrossed and ingrained in that, that that is actually like your form of meditation is my thought. Is it, is, do you think that that happens in any way? Um, maybe, I mean, like what, where I really enjoyed endurance work is that that was, it's almost, it's forced upon you. It's, there's nothing quite as, you know, transcending as doing a long distance run. Uh, and some people would say that, you know, when you're lifting, you're very present and it's, it's true, right? Like I definitely have these moments where I zone in or writing. I love writing. So I have, you know, three degrees and one of which is in art. So I am a very creative person. So if I sit down and paint or do some writing for this uh, upcoming book that I have, then yeah, it's definitely meditative on some level, but this concept of just stopping and breathing, I think is, is essential. And I don't do that. I actually have a um, a friend who, again, serendipity is just amazing. The people that you meet in your life, right? So this guy actually, he lives in the, in the house of the Dalai Lama in Dharamsala. So he's a, he, so he's a client that I just got and he wanted to do this spiritual uh, pilgrimage and circumduct some, some mountains somewhere. And uh, he was like, you know, he had multiple myeloma and his range of emotions were like shit and his health was compromised. And we had to work on all of that in order for him to do what he wanted to do. And um, I've, I've been very lucky to incorporate all of these, you know, Buddhist principles and all of these mindfulness teachings. And I just don't apply a lot of them, but I do see the benefit of it and uh, I don't do it enough. <laughs> Like you walk, right? You walk in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so what do you do during your walks? Is it kind of like shut off or do you do? Okay, so that's like, that is definitely, uh, I, I can't not walk every day. Um, it's, all right, so part of the walk is till we get to the park, kind of like I'm holding on to the dogs. So, I mean, we're just doing that. Cooper's on my back. Uh, and I'm usually singing a lot of the times because he'll start like fussing, like yelling at me kind of thing if I'm not singing to him. Uh, so, I mean, we're doing that, uh, within the last probably two weeks, he's really been geeking out on just like birds. Like anytime we see a bird, like he's pointing at it, he's looking at it. He's all about that. So, I mean, we're looking for those types of things. Um, when we get to the park, like there are trees. So we go up to certain trees, but like specific trees. Um, I think talking about like just being drawn to some of the trees there. We're just drawn to certain ones. We go up, we give them a hug. Like we just kind of hang on to them for a while. It might be five seconds. It might be a minute that we're just there. Um, I close my eyes and like he'll put his head up on the tree too. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I, I, there's just, there's nothing, there's not a lot going on there or I'm just thinking about the day. Like I'm just, what do I feel like shooting a video on? What am I going to do in my workout? Uh, it's really just a mishmash. Have like, you I'm always just done thinking. that? Have you always done that nature walks? Uh, it's probably been about six years now that I've done them. And I mean, it's every single day. Yeah. And you're really regimented. I mean, I have like, you know, coming from the business perspective and that was something I wanted to touch on with you is yeah. what it is that you do. And you're just so scheduled and the way that you execute your business is just like, Oh man, like I just, I admire that. That's just beautiful. Right? Like these, I, but, a lot of this is, is foreign to me, right? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total Luddite. Um, you know, I got my first cell phone like just a couple of years ago and I'm still learning it and I'm using Skype. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so you have these schedulers and you're doing this podcasting and, and, and you have, you, you understand how important these lifestyle things are for you and you schedule it in and you respect it, right? Yeah. There's, uh, so I, again, I am, like so ingrained in that uh even okay so 
my son's uh, about a year and a half old, right? So that was by far the hardest part. Uh, when he was born was like, oh shit, like I do this at this time. Uh, <laughs> like what, what, what is going on here? Uh, so that being dynamic with that, that took me a couple months like of just recognizing, like I, I would just get pissed off inside. Like I could feel, but of course I can't take it. Like he's a month old, he's two months old, he's five months old, whatever it is. Like I can't be upset with him. Uh, but recognizing that in myself was first, like the hardest part, but the scheduling, yes. Um, but the scheduling revolves around, as you said, like those lifestyle factors, I am going to get my sleep every night. I am going to get my walk in every day. Uh, I know like I prep my food, my water, uh, like that's all going with me. Like if I go into the office, I mean, whether I'm at home, whatever it is, uh, I mean, those things are just all guaranteed. Um, I'm getting. But you, you seem to hammer it so well. Like, I mean, like, I know you're up at 4.30 at the same time as me. I know that you have clients all day because you do the same, similar, you do body work, right? Well, I I work in a physical therapy clinic, so doing the physio yeah. stuff. But then, like, I also do, hey, I'm, I'm getting on Skype to do interviews like this. I'm meeting clients, whether they're here, halfway around the world, like whatever it is. So I'm doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you're, and you're getting your workout in, you got to, yeah. I mean, you, like you got to, you got a kid to feed at the end of the day and you have yeah. to edit all of this stuff after, or maybe you don't, I don't know, but. Well, I have uh, somebody that edits it for me. So that's because I mean, oh, I, I started okay. to learn like, and she's been so again, like, mind blown, this concept of having other people do stuff for you. Brilliant. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know why it's actually very easy for me to do. And I think it's because I recognize what I'm good at. And yeah. that's been one of the biggest things. Like if I suck at something, I'm just going to, I, I, I just don't enjoy it. So I just try and push it off as soon and as fast as possible, any which way I can, whether that be for editing a podcast or that might be just something that needs to get, Hey, done in the clinic. Like I'm not going to um, and, and I don't want to sound like uh, a jerk in saying this, like, I'm not going to be the one that goes and orders the supplies and like counts all that. No, because for me, I need to be the one treating the patients, like seeing them. So I recognize those things. So I'm not going to take the extra hours out of day to go do something like that. So no, it's, it's going to happen somewhere else. Uh, and I think that comes down to, again, what are like, or even if you wouldn't mind sharing, like, what are the biggest strengths that you have? Uh, both for the business, but also like personally. So it, it ties right into what I was going to ask you just now. So what I've noticed in the realm of business is that people who are entrepreneurs are highly capable people. So that my doubt where I fail is often because I can do everything. I often do everything. Right. So, yeah, um, absolutely. yeah. It, and I also like, I, like, I, like I said, I'm a Luddite, I'm a total nerd and, um, I love creating things. So then that that line of like downtime and work time sometimes becomes very blurred, right? So like, okay, I'm working on this book and it began from this place of creativity, but now I got to hustle, man. I got these deadlines. Now I have to like, I have to bridge that gap of like, I have to get comfortable with technology because I need to promote this, right? This is the world that we live in. Okay, but here's the other thing too. Who already knows how to promote that so that you don't have to? Right. So I'm not, so I'm starting to reach out, but again, it's like you're asking me to go to San Francisco and I've no, I don't even have a map. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. Like, I mean, I would, I would be very content just being a shrew in the, in the deep woods, you know, 
poking people off with a stick unless they really needed help. And um, it's there's you know it, so I'm I'm still working on that comfort zone thing. And um, I think we all have that. And uh, I think any entrepreneur who uh, feeds people this line of you know I, they totally have it under control. They know what they're doing. I think they're full of shit. Because I don't know from one day to another. And you know I if I look at what I have, I consider I consider myself to be very successful. And interestingly enough, I'm actually speaking at some local colleges um, this week. Very cool. So on like creating uh, self-employment opportunities in the realm of health and fitness and where the program coordinator had interest in me was because I'm still a coach, Mm -hmm. right? So often what happens when people do business and they're into coaching, well, they kind of let the coaching fall to the side because the administrative stuff, so all of these little tasks tend to consume them, Right. right? And I don't want to do that. So it's very important for me that I am I am bridging that gap between, okay, I want to see more female experts on these top 20 lists or on these panels. Well, at some point, somebody just has just has to do it. So I'm making I'm 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 working on on becoming an expert, you know, in that field. And I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, I'll be you know, I'll be recognized on that level at some point just to bridge that gap. So that is that is important to me. <laughs> How do you go about I guess becoming an expert, like what is your uh, path on something? Like how do you try and shortcut it, if you will? You don't. Yeah, you just don't. And um, I've, I've learned that through coaching other coaches um, that if somebody comes to you, that it's, it's because they're vulnerable is because on some level they're saying I'm not happy. So they might think they have goal ABCD right? It's because you know more than them and they trust you with that information and they want to be vulnerable. So whatever information you could offer them always already quantifies you as, as an expert, right? Assuming that you're doing it like safely and you know, that you're really legitimately caring for the person that you're working with. It all, it comes down to caring and trust at the end of the day, but, um, um, you can always know more. You can always learn more. Um, but it's, um, it, it is a very interesting question as to why, more women don't put themselves out there. And I do think it's an insecurity thing. Insecurity on, from what end? Like they just don't feel like they truly are an expert. They, is right. it, is it like, like, um, where, where does that come from? Or again, going back to some like the, the human psychology, like you said, you study, like where does that come about? Maybe more so in a female than it does in a male. And like, why does that develop? Do you think? Yeah, that's a very complex question where I haven't always identified as like, okay, I'm the, I'm the, you know, iconic woman, right? Um, and I've definitely never allowed myself to fall into that victimized role that a lot of a lot of women um, sadly end up in. But it is it is a very intimidating place when you do perceive, you know, that the certain the the realm of who the experts are fall in a certain genre. So no matter what, it's just storytelling, right? So I, I see the experts being men, so that means that I can't identify with them. Um, and, um, you know, I don't have a place there. So I actually, it's interesting. It made me think of, uh, I think it was a TEDx that I was, I wish I knew the name at the moment, but a woman was talking, um, a Nigerian woman was talking about reading stories. So she was just reading like, you know, uh, fiction and there were, there were no women who had, you know, dark skin in these books and, uh, they all had like red hair. And so she had, she had romanticized this, this idea, this ideal around, um, what, you know, the, what the, uh, what the world was like. And, uh, when she traveled there was, she was very disappointed in the sense that she felt like she didn't have a role to play. So she then started writing her own stories and she 
um, she talks now on the topic of the importance of that single story and how every story is important and how it's important to create it um, if it doesn't exist. So what would your TED talk be if you were to give one? Um, empowering women, right? What it, what, what it takes to be uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally strong. And, and that, that is that it's the female trap. Right, this place of uh, this place of um, ultimate vulnerability and 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 feeling like you're a victim and feeling completely powerless in the world. Right, so here are the tools that you can take so that you're constitutionally a stronger human, so that you feel more capable to then create your own story. And now, does this tie in? Like, is this go with the book that you're writing? That is, yeah. This is the book. This is the body of work. So it's actually coming out in multiple steps. So I'll have the I'll have some e-commerce stuff out in um, like an ebook out in a couple of months and then there'll be a hard copy in about a year. So um, it, I'm delineating uh, how I want to, how I want this to unfold because I do want to spend more time with it. This has been my body of work now for a couple of years and it's a message that does seem to resonate with people everywhere. So what has been the hardest part of it to write for you? Um, let me think. So this goes back to the hardest. So the hardest part of that to write had a lot to do with my own lack of journey in that area. And we did touch on this on the first interview. So on the emotional side. So in, in becoming this stronger woman, essentially what was happening is that I was being celebrated for being uh, an angry person. <laughs> so if you look at the iconic empowered woman, okay, well, those are angry women. And uh, I, I did find truth to that. And um, so I, I, I've gone through a separation over the past year and I've grown tremendously as a person and I've really been able to um, unlock what anger meant, right? So anger is a very consuming, it's also very, it's a very dangerous emotion, right? It really, really consumes your body, it creates a lot of dis-ease and being able to access vulnerability, being able to access emotion and allowing myself my own humanity has been very helpful in providing more insight on, okay, you can be an empowered woman, but it doesn't mean that you're an angry person. Could you share a little bit more on that, please? Because I think, uh, how am I putting it? If somebody has something to prove, a lot of times people think of them as angry, but it could be that they're just showing, I think bringing out that expert side of somebody, it's like, no, they just know these things that are absolutely true and they just want to share it with the world because of how passionate they are and what is it about those that become misconstrued because i see them i i think if this is what you meant by that like the two often become just uh they collide like there's this anger but there's just this absolute passion uh and there's got to be like a line that you walk with those right and it is sometimes a very blurred line because they're very similar because they're both action-based emotions um so to take to take anger and to convert to to you know turn that into something that's very positive and very moving um rather than something that is very combative right so that's the difference in the in the anger world so you can take that and and, and recognize it and it becomes a vehicle by which uh, you can improve yourself a vehicle by which you have a message um, but passion is definitely something that um, is important in order to, you know, accomplish a goal. And then you have to have a love of that. And uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I'll have to spend some more time to think about it. 
Well, you're always welcome to uh, come back with an answer later if something, if yeah. something strikes for sure. Amy, let's shift gears here a little bit. Uh, I'm going to more just, what does your daily life look like? What is What are some of your just practices that you really have honed in that you think are just the most important to your health? Uh, I do not. I am my own coach. So I hold myself accountable to everything. So um, scheduling is very important. Routine is very important. Food is very important. Flexibility is very important. So everything that I feel is important then becomes important. <laughs> but I'm also not too hard on myself, right? So you just learn to reparent yourself, essentially. So you, you, you know, you, you have to understand that the place of wellness does come from you know, variables A, B, C. So I, I wake up at the same time every day. I go to bed around the same time every day. I finish work around the same time every day. So I'm very scheduled in, in my application of, of the work that I want to perform because um, mindset, so if we touch on mindset, um, the work I do is very important to me, right? So if I, it's not coming from a place of, you know, oh, crap, I've got work to do. It's like, oh, yay, I have projects to work on, right? So if these projects are important to me, and I want to honor myself in executing these projects, then I need to be able to allocate the time for that, right? Because that's where the place of creation comes from. It's a place of action. Um, so um, being able to harness the energy to have that action comes really down to physiology, right? So am I exercising regularly? Am I drinking enough water? Am I eating appropriately for my needs? Uh, am I sleeping well enough? So the ABCD of what we touched on, I think, on minute five of this interview, right? <laughs> So I really do care for myself, and you know, if it if it if I have an off day, and people have this perception that because I'm very I'm very regimented about my approach to my own life, it's like oh we gotta take it easy. I'm like yeah, I do take it easy on myself. You know, if I have an off day, then hell the hell with it. I have an off day. You know, I might I might even get tanked once in a while, though it's not something that I really enjoy doing because I know that it's gonna it's gonna really impact my ability to create and be happy and feel well. You know, from week to week. I think you brought up an awesome point in there and it was people say, Oh, you need to relax. Like you're doing so much like this and that. I don't think that people understand that if you didn't do that, you would absolutely probably be drained. Right. Yeah. This week was a totally off week for me. Like I, I just, I just couldn't get enough sleep. I came home and I was sleeping like, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, you know, like, okay, well, whatever. I just, I just needed to do that this week because I'm going to function better next week. But I, I, I brought that up because people will say that to me, like, oh, you got to slow down, like you got to do this. I am just so energized by what I do that if I just stop doing some of it, I actually feel much worse. Like you can cultivate energy through these, through quote unquote work if, if you're really passionate about it. Um, and even like you said, just the drinking of water, the eating of the right foods, the getting to bed on time. I don't do those because... It's just uh, what I want to do so that I can try and live longer and be healthier. No, I just feel a lot better and enjoy life a hell of a lot more if I do that. So I don't want to do uh, the opposite end of that. So that's where all these things really can be so engaging and uplifting rather than actually causing more stress and draining to the body too. Yeah, and there's a way like everything is data, right? So there's a way to really collect data so that you can, uh, you know, find your optimal solution, your optimal formula. So for me, I understand that I like to front load things all the time. So if I look at my week, I'll front load. So I'll have 
Monday, Tuesday are going to be my most productive days and then my schedule is going to be a slow downward curve and then I give myself, you know, a day and a half rest at the end of the week and the cycle repeats. And even beyond that, I know that I can be productive, very, very productive for about two weeks before my energy starts to kind of go down. So I'm actually going to schedule, I set my own deadlines. Like I said, I, I keep myself accountable to things, but in order to do things, I need to do that. So how I schedule it depends a lot on my own energy. And that for me has a lot to do with uh, menstrual cycle. So that's something that I do work with my female clients as well, because I don't want to have to go through this cycle of crash and burn for them. So I keep track of their cycle. Um, I help them optimize their cycle, first of all, through, um, you know, physiology, ba- physiology based stuff. And, um, and that, that ultimately helps their performance and it helps them achieve their goals, right? So um, it's just being able to delineate that. So I take a week off every seventh week, right? Yeah, so again, the, yeah. beauty, the beauty of being able to work for yourself. So if you, if you had put me in a nine to five job, I would probably be, I wouldn't be a very functional person. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't work for me. Um, but the, the, my ability to create is, is, is amazing. Like I look back every year and I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I did all that. Right. And that's just, and that's just keeping going. I just, I just, you have to be consistent. You have to be respectful of your limitations. And for me, that falls down to data. So write it all down. So what does a week off look like for you then? Um, usually brainstorming. So I have like, I'll probably, I'll probably sleep in till an amazing like 7 a.m. for a couple days. <laughs> when you wake up at 4:30, that's huge, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm not. Um, so I have two options. So a lot of people love like they, they love to travel. Like I don't do very well with displacement. I'm a I'm a homebody. I love nature. Um, so I will typically unplug in nature somewhere. I won't even bring my phone with me. So that might mean I, I go uh, backcountry camping or I might go down the Adirondacks, which I, I absolutely adore. It's just picturesque and beautiful. Um, or, you know, once in a while, it's just really nice to get that restorative beach and sun. So I have a lot of friends in Florida and I'll go there. But I've never craved this whole all-inclusive um, aspect. Um, I don't travel a lot internationally, but that's just not that's just not one of my things, right? And some people love that, but that might be what they do. So even though you're not a big traveler, is there anywhere in the world that uh, just like kind of a place that sticks out that you really want to get to? New Zealand, but again, it's also very nature and picturesque, right? So it's not that far off from home to begin with. Uh, New Zealand, that is that is certainly on uh, my list of uh, probably top three places in the world that I want to get to. Fiji, and, Fiji would be really cool to see. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind staying in a in a hut for a few days in Fiji. <laughs> just looking out, seeing some uh, perfect blue water there, and just relaxing, enjoying some uh, just just some fun in the sun. Yeah, totally. That works. I I could get on board. <laughs> uh, so. Amy, are there any other things that you wanted to dive into? Because I know you had some ideas. Like, is is there anything that you wanted to go uh, and either either ask me or just uh, any other topics that you want to share about? Like, I have other things that I can get into, but I was curious if there was anything else you wanted to definitely touch on. Um, yeah, strength and function. So we touched a little bit on that at the beginning, but um, I'm I'm curious for you because you're like you're coming in from the therapeutic aspect and you're still a strong man, so. Um, what kind of client is it that you work with? Do you find that you work with athletes or uh, just kind of the Mr. and Mrs. Everyone out there? And Actually, yeah. I mean, I see uh, like this week I had patients that were anywhere probably from about 
13, 14 years old all the way up to maybe about 90 years old. Uh, so it's like sometimes I'll see some younger patients and even sometimes some older patients, but it's anything in between there. Like as far as like being when I'm working in the clinic, uh, there's nothing in particular. But I think what I try and do with that is get them over that like, oh, well, am I really supposed to be doing something like this? Because uh, I'll give people exercise all the time and you just get this like, what the hell are you talking about? Look, like after you show something uh, or you give something there. The other way is I'll give them something that's looks very simple and they can't figure it out for the life of them. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. Actually, here's sorry. I'm all over the place right now. I, I have a great story. So I have uh, two students that uh, uh, are working with me right now and both both athletes like they're they're both still in college like they're finishing up pt school and both soccer players now the guy like um he was talking about his his shoulder and like he's had some subluxations of it so it's not really stable so we're going over exercises for that and i told him to get on the ground and crawl and he's like come on everybody knows how to crawl and I was absolutely dead serious. I was like, get on the ground Are and crawl. Are you sure you know how to crawl? Are I was you like, sure? do, you, do you really know how to crawl? He's like, well, yeah, of course. Like, I, I was a baby. I can crawl. And he got down on his hands and knees and he he froze, like could not even move. And he's just like, <laughs> like just, and, and there was just this awkward like silence. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, he, you could see it kind of go out of his, like just that drop, like chin to the floor. Uh, and that was, I, I think like after that, he's like, oh my God. And then when he did try and crawl, he could not do it properly. Like he could not do it reciprocally, uh, either forward backwards. Like he could barely even initiate the movement. Uh, it, it was, and, and I mean, we were able to clear it up pretty quickly for him, but it was just this, well, of course everybody can do that. And he could not for the life of him without having the cueing, without going through that, uh, so I'm interested to see, like, I haven't seen him since Thursday. I'll see him, uh, I've come in this week to see how that affected him and just even what his reactions were. Uh, so that's kind of just some of the stuff that I do, uh, at least as far as in the clinic goes. Restore function. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. but as far as like just overall things that I'm geeking out on, it's, I said this in one of my recent podcasts, like just as far as kind of what I'm doing for the new year, I'm interested in why is a muscle tight right Right. so there's so many different reasons that it could be uh certainly if you're sitting at a desk i mean as a lot of people do for 40 plus hours a week plus the driving in the car plus they're sitting watching tv i mean you just add this up and it's a lot of time so that happens but does a muscle become short and tight just because it becomes short and tight is it becomes something in the opposite direction is weak. Is this because of emotions? Is this because of organ function? And I'm aware that it's all of them, but I'm trying to find a way that I can best relate this to a patient uh, so that they can just be like, oh, okay. So if I start working on this, like I can overcome that tightness. Like it doesn't always have to be just stretch, 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 stretch. I mean, there's so much more to it. And I just want to bring that awareness that it's a tight muscle is, is showing you something. And I don't know why it's, it's kind of a fascination. That kind of mirrors my, my own 
practice at the moment. And uh, I think you're right when you're looking at, okay, well, it could be many things and it could be all of the things and it'll really depend from one human to the next. And um, I work a lot with like, I just, I just love fascia. Just this, you want to talk about geeking out. I love fascia. And this, you know, if you look at fascia lines and how that's like greatly impacted by breathing and uh, like, you know, so it kind of wraps all the way down the back underneath the foot. So it impacts the gait and it's actually like the whole tongue and the diaphragm. So we're talking, okay, well, you know, nervous system and, um, you know, how it is that they're breathing. So what is it that they're thinking and how does all of that impact movement patterns at the end of the day? It's just, uh, it becomes like you become an investigator and then you become, I don't know what would become, but like this concept of being a chameleon and, and really studying people, right? So I'm going back to human behavior and psychology. So you see patterns, you recognize things, you have questions, but how to, how to work with every person individually then becomes something that we have to work on. And that's, that's the challenging part. When talking about stretching, I mean, there's so much controversy out there right now with, you know, should you stretch or should you not stretch? And, um, I think and it the does weighted stretching too. Weighted stretching is something that I'm really geeking out on kind of too, because a weighted stretch, now you have to stabilize, but also open through a range at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I think no matter what, if there's problems in the tensegrity, right? If you if you get if you get this push pull in your spider web that's creating dysfunction as as unhealthy as the world tells you stretching it out is going to be, that you know, if you're okay, yeah, if you're not pairing the stretch with then the movement, so within like an exercise context and um, you know, you're not, you're not reprogramming yourself neurally because, you know, your headspace is really at the core of why certain things are working a certain way to begin with. Um, but it, it's all very interesting, but it, it still comes down to how do you approach that with each person? So you can, you can apply something, but if the pattern keeps repeating itself and there's something at the deep, something even deeper at the core of that dysfunction, you know, how, how is it that we then approach it? It becomes very, unique and um, fun, I guess, right? Just you learn to be a better coach. You talked to Dane too. I haven't, I haven't listened to Dane's interview yet, but that would have been a good one too. Uh, he must've talked a lot about movement patterns and strongman and. Well, wait, who, who are you talking about? Dane Wallace. Oh, Dane. Sorry. I thought you said Dave. I apologize. Uh, now I'm on the same page with you. Uh, yeah, Dane. I mean, that was really cool too, because again, like he's, he's big on the nutrition part. Obviously like that's, that's a lot of what he does, but I mean, we were just able to dive into, uh, so much more because you look at him, especially, uh, so we're talking about strong man, strong woman. Dane does not fit that mold. He's a 175 pound strong man right. athlete. Like, I've actually competed with him before. And that's actually, that's gotta be pretty cool to see like somebody at, especially at the 175 class. Cause that's about the lightest weight, uh, that they'll have for males. And, the numbers that he's putting up is are just astronomical. Uh, you know what? Canadians are insane. I cannot, I can't even like, so I started competing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved this sport and it didn't exist in Canada. So I pretty much dared every Canadian promoter to do something about it. And I can't take all the credit for it. I think the universe kind of conspires that people do things concurrently, right? So this is very, a very sexy theme right now. Women want to be empowered by strength. So suddenly okay, not only do we have like new associations and weight classes, you know, we have like tons of women competing. We have new weight classes for men and the caliber of athlete that I'm seeing in Canada compared to what I'm seeing in the U S is crazy. 
these scared the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's anything or what do you, what do you think's behind that? Oh, I like, this is my personal philosophy on it. It really comes down to just biology and it, what's funny is that if I go down to, like, you know, I go see my Floridian friends, somebody told me that, oh, you have the mass, a muscle mass greater of that, that of a healthy, a healthy, active male. You know, I kind of look at them and say, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> question mark on my face. But, it, you know, that, but, yeah, sure, it's all relative. So if you compare, you know, my athletic frame to the athletic frame of, you know, a Floridian female of the same age and height, it's going to look different. But if I compare myself to, you know, the, the Canadian females who are training, like, we pretty much all look the same. So, like, but then if I think of who my ancestors were, if I think about, you know, these pioneers, these female pioneers that, you know, pretty much invented strongman sport, they worked on farms, right? They had, you know, huge families, lots of, like, huge farmland. They were, like, sturdy women. So that's also who my ancestors, that, that's who, that is what I am made of. Right. So it's kind of a no brainer for me that I'm actually a competitive strong woman. So not only am I paleo on one side, I'm actually, you know, a, a strong ass worker on the other. So that, that, that to me constitutes a pretty, a pretty good background for an athlete. You brought up a word there, paleo. I'm curious, what does paleo mean to you? <laughs> what does it mean to me? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so I did a podcast on this and I love, I love bringing it up is we, we talked about the the dynamic of like what it means to be paleo in the U S and internationally and what it means in Canada. And I was actually talking to a UK friend about the same thing. So UK and Canada tend to mirror each other a lot in belief systems. And I think it has a lot more to do with demographic. We just don't have the population density. So when you say the word paleo in Canada, people associate it with cult like mentality. They associate it with CrossFit. They associate it with like, Okay, well, you know, it's a box. So you might have the accent, Atkins diet here, you might have the Southeast diet there, and then paleo is just kind of like another box. So Canadians don't like to feel assimilated by any means. So they tend to just kind of push that to the sidelines unless they really know what it is. But if you really look at what it means, it just means it's, it's ancestral health. Right? That was the, that's the exact word I like. Ancestral health is the exact word way that I, I prefer it to. Uh, I, I was curious to see where you were going to go with that even. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, what do most Canadians eat? You know, like I, I grew up on blueberries and I grew up on, you know, like on eating like a lot of, a lot of seafood. We have like, we're one of the largest distributors of oysters and mussels in the world. Um, also the largest manufacturer of mustard internationally. Did you know that? That's crazy. No, yeah, I know. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know, random fact of the day. Um, so, like, you know, we have access to so many berries and so much, so much game meat and, um, and, and, you know, growing up fishing and hunting, well, that, that was my diet, you know. Like, we didn't eat a lot of vegetable, really. You know, I grew up in some, like, high northern community where, you know, it just doesn't grow there to begin with. And if it's imported, then it's not fresh. You don't really want to consume it. So I didn't, I, I haven't had a lot of, um, a lot of fresh fruit and vegetable in my everyday diet, aside from the thing, the canning that, you know, my, my, my family would have made or dry dehydrating. So, which I still do. I'm like, I'm a total, like, I'm a garden, garden nut. <laughs> I even make my own essential oils. Oh, really? Yeah. I totally like, when I talk about like being a homebody and being very like, so yeah, I guess playing in the garden is very much meditative for me. I wish I could say the same about shoveling snow, but I really hate it. 
Okay, so I, I don't know, again, like how long your growing seasons are. So what are some of the things that you'll really uh, plant then? And like, what what do you do? Like you said, just a lot of canning then? You just try and, hey, store up as much as you can for the wintertime? Well, we do have this luxury called the freezer as well. So not a lot of canning, but um, yeah. yeah, the greens. I like to keep the garden easy also because I'm, again, mindful. So something I like doing and I could, I could devote, dedicate a little bit of time to every day when I'm done work. But um, I'm also mindful that I'm busy and I can't have things that are very high maintenance. Um, so I'll have like, you know, the cucumbers and the zooks and I'll have, you know, tomatoes and I'll have all of the herbs. Like I have a gigantic herb garden. I love drying that stuff. It's so easy. You just, you know, hang it or oven or whatever. And you can make essential oils from it, which is just a fun, a fun little process. I have an apple tree. I have um, like, I have like blueberries and raspberries and all of that in my not not very large yard i mean i definitely don't live in the wilderness i'm a city girl now but you can make it work <laughs> these a lot of people now are converting their like their front lawns to these urban gardens i think it's wonderful right so you could let the cukes grow underneath the uh the shaded tree and um it's just it's just fun so yeah i love juicing and i love uh, I love making pie because Canadians like putting just about anything in a pie shell. <laughs> what, what are your favorite types of pie to make? Oh, blueberry, apple, pumpkin, pumpkin, like pumpkin, anything, right? Pumpkin, anything. Yeah. Like pumpkin, anything. Pumpkin's tough to be. I, I'm a big pumpkin fan. Well, oh, pumpkin, pumpkin and just winter squash. Like those are just <sighs> by far my favorite vegetables, period. Agree. You probably have all of that where you are because you're not that far from me. Where are no, you? No, I mean, I like I'm in Pennsylvania, like. That's I, I can grow. Uh, actually, I don't grow a whole lot of those just because they are they will take up a lot of room. But I know like, hey, my like our farmer, uh, the, like we get our CSA from like they have plenty of room for like that's what they're growing a ton of. So I'll just make sure I get those things from them. Uh, Do you have a lot of farmers in your in your area? Like that's something I'm very lucky with. Like I have my beef farmer. I get to meet the cows. I get to see the land. And so yeah. I get I get all my stuff from them. I'm. I'm very close. Like I'm very particular. Like I, I know all of my farmers, like, like whether I'm talking to them every week, whether I'm seeing them like emailing back and forth, like, yeah, I definitely know them. They know me. Like it's, it's not that hesitation. Like, Oh, well, can I ask them about these things? No. I mean, they're just straight up about it. And I know what's, what is all going on? What is going on with my food? Because that is very, you should do a podcast on just that. Why you should know your farmer. Well, I actually had my farmer on as one of like the first interviews that I ever did. I might have to get him on again, but I mean, try and get some other local ones because I think that's, that's a lot of fun for me because first of all, I, I talk to them and I, I want to get to know them more because Hey, what they do for me, that they are feeding my family. Uh, that's a very big deal for me. Uh, but I think it's an overlooked part of it. Like People don't have that appreciation of, again, where food comes from uh, because, no, it does. Yes, you, you get it in a grocery store, but that's not where food comes from. Understanding that, understanding what goes into that whole process. Like Cooper and I have our breakfast every morning, but we say thank you to it. Like I'm already just trying to show him that appreciation for food. Uh, like I, he'll get not yelled at, but like definitely let him know if he's 
uh, like shaking something around or throwing his food. Like he's not allowed to do that because he cannot waste it, whether it's milk, water, uh, or just any of the food that he's eating because it is that precious of a Which thing. Which is harder here, and I, maybe I'll leave you on that thought because you probably, you know, had a long day, need coffee and or a nap. But uh, my, my Buddhist friend, so living in Dharamsala, and he comes back to Canada and North America, and he says it's really amazing how people have an addiction to flavor here everything's incredibly salty and also by the way canadians uh like we're talking internationally put more salt on their food than any other country um you know iodine thyroid warmth winter <laughs> kind of makes sense if you think about it <laughs> but um yeah so he so he talks about like the process by which he gets his breakfast so like the like the oats are cut fresh that morning from like one neighbor who comes over you know rides over some riding some animals somehow and then the milk is like is is fresh from the goats next door and and then he has this porridge and it's just so damn beautiful you just want to cry <laughs> it's that's this, amazing <laughs> well yeah it becomes this like incredible process by which you gain so much appreciation for your food but you know here we are in north america and we're talking about you know globalization and consumerism and access to more than we possibly need so that the process by which you learn to appreciate your food is completely different so good on you for doing that well amy let's let's kind of wrap up here uh share what what it is like you said you're working on the book but hey where can everybody find more about you what's going on any of the like you said speaking gigs that you have coming up uh all of the above so that they can really best support you with all that you're doing yeah, that's, that's really great because my work is really just in support of everyone out there and what it is that they want. So the more feedback I get, you know, better thought forward content I can provide. So there's my, uh, the fitness company, which is love2train.ca. So L-O-V-E-T-O train.ca. Um, and website, same thing, love2train.ca. It's on Instagram and on Facebook. And, uh, for the strongman work, which is, um, which is the book and all of the activities around that and who I am as a person, that's uh, strongwoman, A I M E E dot com, strongwoman.com. And when, when can we, any ideas on, especially the ebook? Cause I know you said you set your deadlines for yourself. Uh, what, what, when can we expect that, uh, out? That 100% will be out in April. April. All right. So we're yeah. gonna have to make sure get some links out when that comes out then too. Uh, to 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 best share uh what that what that journey is and uh what it looks like to be a strong woman not just a uh strong woman competitor right right be a strong person that'll be the next module i love it i love it so amy thank you again so much for everything that you shared today uh this was an absolute blast and i think people can get uh, a lot out of all the things that we talked about yeah two conversations how lucky am i <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have a third no i'm just kidding i hope you don't lose this one <laughs> uh, I, I don't plan on losing it so that's uh, yeah, yeah. The, I, I was cleaning out the computer and it was a whole we'll mess see, we'll <laughs> see what the universe conspires at there the end of it awesome well thank well, you amy thank you very much you have a great day and uh we'll be in touch back at you bye bye-bye Thanks again for listening. 
And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.